Welcome to the Open Talent Report, the award-winning podcast where we dive deep into the emerging trends in global employment, the future of work, the talent crisis, the demographic deficit, and the new world of work with our expert host, Connor Heaney. Connor is the Managing Director at CXC Global EMEA, a company that takes the hassle out of finding compliantly engaging and paying contractors anywhere in the world. In this podcast, Connor brings you captivating conversations with top CEOs, visionary founders, and industry experts. Together, they shed light on all things open talent and the evolving nature of work itself. So grab your headphones and join us on this exhilarating journey. Hello and welcome to this week's show where I'm delighted to welcome Mark Sulkis. I've had the pleasure of knowing Mark for... Mark, I'm, I hate to say this, but I, it's probably 10 plus years at this point. And I really got to know Mark well when he was a senior leader and executive at Tapfin, part of the manpower group of companies. Mark is now the managing director of enterprise strategy and alliances at FlexTrack. For those who, of you who don't know who FlexTrack are, they're a really emerging best of breed vendor management system, and they're about to take the rest of the world by storm. So Mark, a very warm welcome to you. I, I have always enjoyed all our conversations over the years. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. It is always a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, you know, I think our relationship goes back even longer than that. I going back to always 20 years ago. Yes, Mark, so you're right. It's been a long time. Yeah, 2001, 2002. Oh my God, Mark. That's when I was, that's when uh, I was in short yeah. trousers, right? You know, I, I was... Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, we go back a, a long time. You're right, Mark. And uh, mate, it's so good. So good to have you on the show. Yeah, likewise. Absolutely likewise. Mark, everything's going well with you? Life is good? Yeah, no, life life is doing great. You know, uh, I'm excited for the holidays, spending time with the family and friends. Yeah, but couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Delighted. Well, I'm really delighted, Mark, and great to have you on. So, Mark, I've known you for donkey's years, as as we were saying there. But would you mind just for the benefit of our audience, just sharing your story, how you became the managing director for enterprise and alliances at FlexTrack, but maybe your career history to date, because most of the guests I've had on the show that come from our background, Mark, the staffing, recruitment, human capital background, most of them sort of fell into it. And I'm always intrigued about their sort of origin stories to move into this sector and move into this space. So I'd love to hear yours, Mark, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, likewise, you know. You know, I'm a staffing industry veteran, you know, you know, out of university, I started, you know, in the staffing industry, you know, I was, I was hired by uh, the CEO of a smaller staffing firm that thank goodness saw something in me to, to be a little bit different. So he hired me to, to start as, as a, one of the recruiters, you know, this was back in uh, early, late nine, mid nineties, I guess it was. Yeah. You know, I was in the staffing space for probably about four or five years, you know, doing recruiting, sales, running branches, you know, and, you know, at the time, you know, I was looking for to evolve and do something different, but I loved the space. I was very, you know, passionate about helping people and helping people get jobs. So I really wanted to stay in the space. So that's when, you know, I got opportunity to, to go work for an MSB. You mentioned, you know, tapped in. Uh, I was there from the start. I think it was employee number nine. So at the beginning, you know, back in the early 2000s, my job was implementation. So I was responsible for implementing our solutions with all of our different customers. You end up kind of getting promoted into head of global implementation where, you know, had, you know experienced implementing programs and 
30 plus countries, you know, several hundred programs. So, you know, that was my, that's where I grew up in this space, you know, was in the implementation side. But then I also, you know, at one point in time, my old boss said, hey, I need you to move into a different job. And I'm like, what the heck did I do to deserve this? <laughs> and it actually probably was one of the better decisions that happened where, you know, the leader moved me over to our global process excellence role in technology, you know, where you now I was responsible for, you know, getting consistent, you know, in how the MSP deployed and operated their solutions around the globe. And as a result of that, uh, you know, I helped transform some of the services they were providing by building out new teams with business intelligence, supply chain management, but also, you know, evolved the technology. So for years, I, you know, looked at evolving the, you know, creating new pieces of technology to digitize what MSPs were doing and, and help support building their analytics platform, as well as some, I guess, new consulting services that came off of that. So a lot of time in this space, you know, I've worked with a number of different VMSs throughout the years. Some great friends that are still working there today. So yeah, you know, I'm a lifer, you know, doing a lot of stuff in this space from selling, implementing, operating, digitizing, and optimizing, you know, how talent programs work. Yeah. So a little bit about my background. I love it, Mark. And Mark, I, I, I think you worked for the the Colonel Jamil, who ran Tapfin and unfortunately passed away some, some, well, it feels like some years back, but it was relatively recently when you think about it. And he was really the guy that, that put us together, I think at one point or another, Mark, and thinking back on his leadership and, and leadership style, he's a guy that I don't think you could ever replicate. He was just an amazing fella. Yeah. And some I had some really great nights with him and we only really partnered with the Colonel and your team, Mark, back then. But, you know, when you think about people like the Colonel, um, I'm working for people like the Colonel, as he was called. Do you have any key takeaways about that leadership style, Mark? And did that have an impact on you, good or bad? Changed my life. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jamil was just special. You know, I still have a hard time talking about it. I gotcha. Um, I worked directly for Jamil for 15 years, you know. He played a big part of kind of who I am today, both professionally and personally. You know, the one thing that you learn in this space, you know, leadership is not something that people just study and learn and become. It's just in your blood. And for Jamil, you know, he probably was the best, one of the best leaders that I've ever worked for. You know, his superpower, and which I think should be every leader's superpower, is how do you get the most out of your people? And that's what he taught me. It's like, you need to get the most out of your people so they're passionate, they enjoy what they're doing, they love to come to work, and they see the, 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 the I guess, the, the results of that hard work. And that is what he drilled into us. You know, Jamil would always say, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, and, you know, but he always surrounded himself with great people. He always knew how to get the most out of his people and get them just passionate about what they do. That's what a leader does. That's what Jamil taught me. I try to, if I'm a, just a fraction of who Jamil was, you know, I'm a, a great man. And I just can't thank him enough for what he did. Wow, Mark. And Mark, that's, that's one of the many reasons I, I was so excited to have you on the show is I really want that the, for the benefit of our audience, particularly those that know him and those that didn't know Jamil and I know his, his self-appointed nickname was the Colonel, but I, I echo what you say, but I really want that the, 
to speak to you and hear your thoughts on them because I, I really want that the find a way to mark his passing because for whatever reason he just took an interest in me even though I was in a completely different organization and I just remember him so fondly and that's a, a lovely way to describe him and a lovely way to remember him Mark so thanks thanks very much for sharing that with with our audience mate I really appreciate it thank you oh uh, yeah I would tell Camille's story to anybody anyone can learn from Jamil. oh my god he's just he's such a that commanding foot four <laughs> army colonel from Alabama he's just a guy you can never forget mark but yeah that that was amazing and, and mark you know if we look at your your, your it, it's not a new position now i know you've been with uh, flex track for a while but the the vendor management space and the extended workforce platform space is something we're, we're going to look at later in the show but again mark just for the benefit of our audience w- would you um, mind sharing with our audience, the, the challenges and problems that FlexTrack solves for, and, and potentially why it's different from some of the, um, how do I describe this, the uh, incumbent or what could be considered as the uh, legacy uh, vendor management systems or platforms. They probably won't like that term. It's not a term of offense. It's just they've been uh, around a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, like I said, I still got great friends that work at a lot of those competitors, now competitors of, of FlexTrack and and hey, at the end of the day, these guys helped support me and support my kids' college education and everything because <laughs> you know they helped digitize our solution. So I'm, you know, I'm very thankful, you know, for what you know what the type of partnerships I've worked with them in the past. You know, but I think that I think the challenge is, like you said, they're just dated. You know, it's just when you have technologies that are out there that that were built over 25 years ago. You know, if you talk to a CIO of a company and says, "I got a piece of 25 year old technology." What's going to be their response? You know, yeah. is this even viable today? You know, does it provide? I mean, a lot of the, these um, legacy VMSs, you know, they were built before iPhones were invented, before app stores, before APIs are mainstream, before data warehouses. It's just, it's very different when they were building this technology in the late 90s compared to how technology built today. It's just, it's, it's night and day. You know, they, um, like I said, all these new technologies that have evolved, you know, dramatically, you know, with low code tools, workflow automation tools, APIs integrations. I mean, there are all new ways to build tech and to build vendor management systems. And that's what, you know, FlexTrack was doing. I mean, FlexTrack actually has been around for almost 17 years. And it was like almost three years ago now where they were just at this predicament where it's like, we got this legacy tech you know, this old technology that's the technical debt's increasing harder and harder to keep up with customer demands, market demands, and we needed a change. You know, so that's when, you know, FlexTrack at the time had to make a decision of whether we're going to sell this thing or sunset this or do something new. And, you know, after looking at the market, like I said, and look at these other VMSs and seeing the architecture that they built on, you know, they just saw an opportunity. You know, so just looking at, you know, all the different VMSs today, how they're supporting their customers, and just say there's a better way. And the, the, and most importantly, yeah. there's new pieces of technology around to solve for that. And that's what we did. You know, so with that gap in the market, we re-architected this using some of the latest and greatest, you know, software development tools to really kind of kind of revolutionize how VMSs are delivered. Yeah, Mark, I have to say, you know, we, we've looked very closely at FlexTrack 
with yourself and we're getting this partnership off the ground in my day job at, at CXC. And it's a really interesting platform from a user interface and a user experience side of things. And also, I don't want to confuse matters, but you, you know, like ourselves, our, our technology is, is basically the Salesforce technology, right? That's the, the underlying uh, platform. And when I see it, yeah, when I seen it, I was like, and when the rest of our, our, our leadership teams in it, we were like, oh my goodness, these guys have really built something amazing, uh, Mark. And it's going to be really exciting to watch you guys go global because I understand that you guys are really, um, I, I've got a good track record now in, in North America, but is, is that part of the plan now, Mark? Are you guys going to go into other overseas markets or perhaps you're already there? Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, we have customers say they're going to be pushing us there, which is obviously what you want. You know, so, you know, we have customers that maybe push out to over 20 different countries next year. So that's a big part of our growth strategy. You know, you cannot talk about, you know, managing your extended workforce, you know, unless you're talking global, unless you're talking all types of talent. Yeah. So that's our strategy is to do just that, is to, is to grow and uh, expand all around the globe. And like you said, you know, we are built on the Salesforce platform, so we're able to leverage a lot of the infrastructure that's already there that Salesforce gives us to deploy the system globally, which is a huge differentiator. Yeah, I, I, I really can't wait to see what you guys are going to do, Mark. And it, it's interesting, like some of the other competitors out there sometimes have experienced significant delays, to implementation, support issues and all that. But I, I suppose Salesforce has become a bit like, you remember that old phrase in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s, Mark, that no one ever got fired for buying IBM. It strikes me that there's uh, there's maybe some, some, something something similar about Salesforce there, mate. There is. I mean, it's, it is. I mean, there's 250,000 Salesforce customers. You know, 80% of them, I think that, I think it's 80% of those customers are building custom apps using the same technology that we're using. So it's very familiar to, to a lot of companies. Yeah. And so when you talk about the ease of support, the ease of integration, the user experience, it's really unmatched. And I think, too, I think the other big part, you know, Connor, if you kind of look at the history of VMSs, you know, VMSs were originally built to solve a procurement problem. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they were there to solve how do you administer, support all this vendor management and these vendor relationships that clients have. And that's what they built. And what they built was a custom code base, <laughs> right? They created a custom co software designed to solve a procurement problem you know, back in the late nineties. Yeah. But then the industry evolved, you know, eight, 10 years later, like, oh, we got to get SOW. You know, we're going to, we're going to start managing SOW. So they had to create a whole separate module to administer and to support that. You know, if you're building a VMS today, would it be modular? Yes. Would you have a contingent module, an SOW modular? Probably not. No, no. Right. Because today that's how people hire talent. They hire talent all these different ways, you know, through contingent statement of work, direct sourcing, freelancer management systems, all these different sourcing, you know, talent or channels are now embedded in these solutions. So VMSs today, you know, if, if Beeline or Fieldglass would have decided to re-architect the system today, do you think it would be modular? Probably not. So that's just like one example about, you know, taking those lessons learned of managing programs for almost 20 years and saying, there's a better way. There's a new way. And that's 
you know, what we're trying to do. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really exciting vision that you've presented there, Mark, for FlexTrack and where you, where you guys and where your company's going. Mark, like you said, you've been in the, the talent space and talent solutions uh, business for, for some years. And um, it strikes me that it's, it's definitely evolving and definitely changing, right? But in some ways, it strikes me that we haven't really moved on in some respects. Like if I think about it, I always look at, this is a, do you ever see those old, you know, Trading Places movies from the 1980s, right? So you had like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, right? All the traders, you know, open, open outcry trading, shout in their top of the lungs. And, um, and then there was what was called the, the Big Bang and everything moved to technology, Mark, where, you know, trades were transacted through computers. And it strikes me that recruitment and talent hasn't had its Big Bang moment. And it feels like, although, you know, I started my career in staffing in the mid 2000s, Mark, you know, email uh, was probably just sort of the, the best way to s- send CVs. But some of the guys I worked with, for example, would have had CVs couriered to their clients in the 80s and early 90s, right? And late 90s. And then LinkedIn came and the CRM database. But it strikes me that talent and how talent is acquired and managed hasn't really changed hugely, right? It's still a sort of matching exercise. And the other point on that, Mark, I'd be keen to get your thoughts are on that vendor management systems, you're quite right, were built for a procurement process. But these days, I think, Talent and finding talent and working with suppliers just is no longer a procurement problem. And therefore, the, the extended workforce platforms and vendor management uh, platforms need to look, feel, and behave a lot differently. So what, what's your take on those two points, Mark? Man, I thought you were going to say faxes. <laughs> yeah, faxes, geez, yeah. I mean, when I, you know, hours of the day, you know, you, you, you stand in a line, you get like 10 recruiters standing in line to use the fax machine. Wow. And you explain the fact, you know, and to get resumes out to your clients, you know, I just, I remember standing in those lines. So compared to those days, it's been dramatically different in my opinion. You know, I think, I think the good thing about the BMS is it's just the adoption. Yeah. I think organizations, them and themselves see the need, right? I know there's been quotes from like SIA and others that will tell you, you know, having a BMS now is just as important as an HRIS when it comes to managing your your extended workforce so i think what i like and what i've what i've really enjoyed is that the the need for these vms systems have really grown you know as you know i mean i think 80 90 percent of customers your companies with more than a thousand employees has a vms so having this adopted now you know i think this is key but to your second point you know it is you know with the, the evolution and how vms are evolved i mean once again this is probably why FlexTrack reinvented themselves because it's no longer vendor management. You know, you see, you know, procurement's not just owning these programs, it's HR, it's talent acquisition. The type of metrics and data you're tracking is, is very different yeah. you know, than what we probably used to back in the early 2000s. So I think these VMSs, they have to, you know, they have to reinvent themselves. They got to do something to focus on. Are you getting the right talent? Are you incorporating the right company, the company's brand in sourcing this talent you know so it is a it's a very different way today you know and i think the key piece say the vmss need to be able to do is to be able to to react and become fit for purpose right that's the key fit for purpose not every company hires the same way there's different ways different processes different procedures that everyone needs to, to to go through they have different requirements so how do you make it fit for purpose? I think that's the key today 
you know, and, and, you know, once again, I'm not trying to be ugly with some of these competitors, but when they have technology that was built 20 some years ago, adjusting those workflows is not easy. Try to change code that you created 20 years ago. Most likely that person that created that's not here. It's just, it's difficult and it takes time to your point. It takes long to do that. You need a way that could easily customize solutions that, that make it fit for purpose for clients. And it should be quick. And that's the key. It should be quick. Uh, you know, another example, like uh, how technologies change, right? Workflow automation tools, ServiceNow, Salesforce has its own called Flow Builder. You know, these workforce automation tools are prevalent. You know, there are tools that can automate any workflow process. You know, compared to back in the day when a lot of the VMSs were built, they had a right custom code to do that. That took weeks and months to test and build and deploy. Nowadays, automating workflows, drag and drop. And it should be, you know, it should be that easy. And I think a lot of customers, I mean, they expect that. They see technology all across their enterprises that can flex, that can be customized to meet their needs. So when they see a technologist says, wait a second, it takes longer. You know, the customization is not what we're looking for. You know, this is, this is not how technology is used today. So I think that's the big, the big difference is how you make it fit for purpose and how you could adapt very easily to meet your customers and, you know, their requirements. Yeah. I think, and I think the other Connor, I think the other piece of that is the integrations, the, 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 the integration side of that. I think this is probably, probably the biggest thing that's going to change, you know, VMSs and they just need to change their mindset is the ability, the, the concept of being able to integrate easily with anybody. Yeah. Uh, in the world that we're in, right. I remember talking to CEOs of companies 10 years ago, staffing firms and saying, ah, we're not a technology firm. We're a staffing firm. We're going to hire people. You talk to that same CEO, they may not be in that same job if that's their mindset. Because every company needs to be a technology company. All these staffing firms, these staffing agencies, freelancer management systems, they all have a platform, right? That they, to really digitize their service. That's the whole digitization effort that's gone on for the last 15 years, how you digitize these services. So how do you incorporate that into an extended workforce solution. That's the key. Yeah, you want to be able to integrate with anybody. Error. Right? It should be for a client, you know, if there's a new staffing supplier that's the, the best staffing supplier in the world to fill Java developers and they have a platform to use. It should be easy for the client to plug and play with that platform. They should be able to experiment and see if it works. With the war in town and people trying to get the most talent, you organizations are becoming more and more open to all these different sourcing methods. So we need technology that could harness that, that could really harness that ecosystem of talent technology provided into a, an ecosystem of tech solutions that a client can use in a seamless way. And I think that's where I think FlexTrack is going to be very different. You know, our mentality is that we want to integrate with anybody. And we want to be able to do it easily. And we want to be able to say, hey, client, you want to use this partner? Let's try it. Let's plug and play. Let's plug them into our VMS. Let's get those data working. And, you know, let's, let's, let's solve for that. And I think that piece is where I think organizations are going to be changing a lot. It's how do you have a true ecosystem of talent technology providers 
into a single user experience. And I think that's where we're going to be the biggest change. Mark, that is an incredibly exciting way of how it's going to go. And that you guys can, can do that is bloody amazing because if you even just think of the amount of investment that's went into the HR tech sector, yeah. right? Like seriously, dude, like I, I think between 2020, yeah, it's crazy between 2021 and 2022, I'm going to round this up here just because it, you know, math, math is my strong point, but I think it was in the order of $24 billion was invested in HR tech in that two year period. It, it obviously tailed off this year as the, the funding cycles changed completely, Mark, but if you think as a result of that, how many point solutions there are that, that large enterprises are using, right? So they might have a HRIS, right? Uh, a PO system, you know, a time attendance system, a bloody clock in, clock out system, a performance management system, a freelance management system that sits outside it, an internal talent marketplace, an ATS, a talent CRM. You know, the ability, as you've described, to integrate those point solutions into into one platform is really amazing and really powerful, Mark. And I think that's such a compelling thing to bring to the market because integration absolutely matters. And it absolutely matters because of all those different point solutions that are out there, right? They don't talk to each other. And to your point, in, in a scarce talent or a talent availability crisis that we're in, you got to look across all platforms, all tech within your organization and outside it to get the talent you need. And I think that was a really nice uh, segue in, into what I w- was hoping to discuss with, with you in more detail, Mark, which is the following. We're in what's been described as the labor market paradox. It's been described as the talent availability crisis, the talent scarcity crisis. Now, you and I have been in, in this sector for quite some years, as we've discussed already, Mark. You know, we've, we've seen these things before, but I suppose the interesting thing is if you read the surveys from uh, Ronstadt, from Manpower, from Allegis, the sort of large staffing human capital players and Deloitte's and the other consultancies, they're all saying that talent is one of the top three or five strategic priorities for the enterprise, medium, large enterprise CEO. And I think the problem is we don't, we're not producing enough talent mark, particularly in Western labor markets. If you look at the so-called demographic deficit, right? In the USA, right, if you exclude migration or immigration, I always get it wrong how to best describe this, but really since nineteen the 1960s, the labor force, basically USA has been producing le- less people. If you look at the European Union, right, between 1965 and 2015, Mark, it's even more more stark. Looking at it, it's like a, a four-time decrease in population right over that uh, period of time. And then you've got like places like India, and continental Africa, where the population growth has been exploding over that similar period, right? So you've got all the demand for talent coming out of places like USA, UK, Netherlands, Germany. Then you've got full employment as a result of this demographic deficit. So I suppose my question is, Mark, and it's a big question, mate, I do appreciate it, but how can we solve for some of that challenge? How can we how can we solve this talent scarcity scarcity problem, particularly in those big markets like the United States and the Netherlands and the Japans and, you know, the, the United Kingdom. Yeah, that's, uh, obviously a very large question. And some, some economists have debated this for many, many, many years and how to solve for this and how to address it. You know, I, but like you said, I mean, we've been around, we've seen the evolution of technology solutions and, you know, offshoring you know, digitization, all these things that kind of just, you know, transforms 
people and what they do. You know, I think, I think what's always been consistent is throughout the years is that, you know, innovation and automation can help a lot. You know, I think a lot of companies right now, when they're trying to solve for this, I mean, they're, they're looking at how do we automate more things? You know, how, you know, what are the new things that we need to innovate to be able to kind of transform to really kind of address this, you know, labor paradox that we're dealing with today? You know, I, you know, so I think the automation and the innovation, I think is the key. I mean, ultimately when companies are trying to solve that, they're trying to figure out how do we do things differently? And they're looking at those two different ways to do that. You know, it's a, it's, this is a, you know, just like we talk about, like with the AI and, and those types of things, like I said, I, you know, as, as I've seen throughout all these years, I think humans always find ways to reinvent themselves. Yeah. Right. When whatever is changed is going on in the marketplace is they find a way to be able to do things differently, to add value in different ways. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this really, you know, transpires, you know, but I think today, you know, trying to solve for this, because to your point, when you look at these numbers, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? When you see like in the U.S., right, they consider full employment, 4% unemployment, and we've been sub four for how long? And yet we have millions of people out there looking for jobs and, yeah. you know, trying to find work. So it's just, it, it, it's very, it's interesting because, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously the, the pandemic really changed a lot, you know, what, in that regards. But yeah, I think it really comes down to that automation innovation. You know, how can, you know, companies just kind of reinvent themselves and how they perform things and evolve their services so they could provide, you know, value added services other ways. Yeah. So I, and I think that's going to be key to how organizations solve for it. Yeah, I agree. And like Mark, I, I think one of your boys was a good and two personal courses at college or from memory. Um, but if you think about their journey through school and the college um, experience that they're having, like I've got, I've got this thing in my mind that perhaps the schools and the colleges aren't preparing our children or people's children for the, not just the jobs of today, but maybe not even the jobs of tomorrow. Like, do you think the education system on a general basis has evolved enough sufficiently to prepare our kids for what's coming down the tracks? I would say they're in the process of evolving now. I don't think they've done enough yet. You know, I think there's been more and more discussions. I mean, I have a son that's now in university and I'm learning more and more about this and what classes are taking. Why are they taking this class? <laughs> you know, so I've had a lot of those different conversations, but I think, you know, universities, colleges, they're going to have to adapt. You know, I know that, you know, some of the universities in the U.S., you know, enrollment's been down. You know, obviously more technical schools are increasing. You know, they see so much more about, you know, job descriptions now that just deleted that need for degree off of that because they just need to find talent yeah. or specialized skills. So they're going to have to evolve, you know, because, you know, organizations, they need these different skills, you know, and with AI and automation and, yeah, you know, data analysts, you know, the, you know, the analytical folks, I mean, those skills are just always going to be in demand, you know, so it is, yeah, you know, it's interesting, Connor, yeah. it really is, and about how this is, is going to evolve, but I think universities, they see it, they know that they're going to have to do things differently, and I think, you know, once again, you see, at least in the States, more of these technical schools blowing up, Yeah, because that's what they need, Yeah, you know, they need just some skilled resources, and you don't need that four-year degree. And we were trained when I was a kid. Yeah, Sam. Like, if you think about it, you know, if someone was telling kids 
when they're in their their senior year, even before before that, um, in in school. Mark, listen, if you just go to the technical school or the technical college, you do your three years and you become a, a qualified or certified plumber or electrician, you're going to be earning easily a hundred k in your first couple of years, right? I think I think right. everyone be like, I'm in coach. How the hell do I do that, right? You know, but I I I don't think there's enough sort of education and and information for children when they're making that decision because I think. You know, Mark, we've been put into these boxes whereby you got to be a lawyer, you got to be a consultant, you got to be a doctor, an engineer, an accountant, right? And of course, all those jobs yeah. have relevance, but they're less in demand because, you know, in some respects, artificial intelligence or automation can, if not replace those jobs, it can certainly reduce the need to have those people doing those jobs. And I find that really fascinating the way it's set up. But the other thing, Mark, you mentioned, which I love, Anna been thinking and speaking a lot about this is about the screening requirements so you know do you need that college degree really right um and my thought process is no and i, I love the fact that organizations are actually removing that stuff from their criteria but if you think about it as well mark i i i'm of the view that we're probably over over screening people right so you know how many people get knocked back when they have to do like a credit check even if they're not working in banking or you know something that's relevant to finance, right? But they failed the credit check for whatever reason, or they had a misdemeanor when they were bloody 16 or 17 that is not related to any big major crime, but they're screened out. And then how are they, how, you know, are we too harsh in terms of how we vet and screen people for that sort of stuff? And if we remove that, would that increase labor force participation? What's your thoughts, Mitt? I think this is a big shift. I think it's coming more and more. I think people are trying to focus on how do you kind of train and educate your employees on these new different skills just to kind of you know, just to have that capabilities versus like you said yeah. being so selective you know so yeah i think one of the, you know some of the things that i know you know jeff mike is head of, head of thought leadership for flex track and you know he did a great webinar a couple months ago with someone from deloitte that talked about skills-based hiring or skills-based organizations yes you know where i think you know, Connor, I think may address some of this, right? Where companies are not out there looking for a job, right? This is a job that I need to get done here today. It's more strategic. They look at their company and say, okay, what are the skills that we need to get work done and focus on building that network of people with those types of skills and training people with those types of skills and just, you know, moving those skills from one group to another to solve problems compared to, you know, just hiring somebody for a, a project or a specific job with these functions and responsibilities and actions that they want to do over a six month project. Yeah. I think that is going to change things. It's going to change. It's changing how people hiring, right? You know, they're looking at more strategically where the skills the company needs compared to individuals. And I think that's going to be open up people's eyes to your point. They're going to focus on these are the core skills we need. We need to hire people at all levels. You know, we want to hire the juniors, the seniors, and how do we get these people and involve them and make them better to support that client? I think that's what's going to, I think that could really change the space. I think um, some of the stats, I thought they said over like 25% of companies are evaluating that now. Yeah. How to change from a job descriptors based company to skills based. So I think that, that could really impact this and really think about or have clients rethink about the type of people they need to hire. 
and with what skills. Yeah. Hey, Mark, I, I think that's such a great point. And I've been reading a lot about the internal skills-based hiring and market internal marketplaces. And I think there's companies like Fidelity Investments that when they introduced this, they got huge, like multi-million dollar savings, right? And they actually got productivity increases across all the locations where they trialed out this uh, approach. And there's other large enterprises that have, have trialed it as, as well, and it's been really beneficial to them. The, just the other point briefly on this topic, Mark, I'd be keen to get your thoughts. It strikes me as well, though, if you look at a, an organization's typical ATS or even VMS, right, think about all the candidates that weren't selected, right? I mean, what what do we do with them and, and what sort of message did they get? I, I, I don't think there's a perfect answer to this, Mark, but, but, but perhaps that's another way to tackle some of these problems too. What, what's your thoughts, mate? Yeah, I mean, I think I think all clients, every company is looking at ways to kind of leverage every talent source they have. And yeah, those databases of candidates that these recruiting organizations have for these companies, I mean, they're significant, right? I mean, these companies have some of the best brands in the world and people want to go to work for people with that brand. You know, so how can you, know, you, you just, you don't want to lose those people. You can't hire them all, but you don't want to lose them. So I think, I think every company is rethinking about their sourcing channels, especially their direct sourcing strategy and leveraging all these people they've hired or interviewed for full-time jobs that may not have gotten the job, but are close. Bringing them to work is key. I think most companies, I think majority companies are really kind of trying to address that now. And, you know, once again, I think talk about, you know, with FlexTrack, what we're trying to do is that once again, we want to integrate with all of them. Yeah. Bloody right. You know, it, it, yeah. I mean, cause it's like, Hey, you're going to use different sourcing channels. You know, you can use different systems. I mean, organizations may have an ATS in the U S their ATS is going to be different in Europe versus Asia pack different by country just because of the legislation. So you need to harmonize it. You need to bring that together. You know, with FlexTrack, we're trying to bring together all those sourcing channels into one. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So that they can leverage that. Yes. And, uh, Mark, I had a question for you. Hope, hope it's okay. It relates to talent marketplaces, not just the direct source of platforms, which are in a way, some sort of derivative of, of a talent market platform or talent marketplace. But it strikes me that the large enterprise on a general basis has not yet adopted the use of talent marketplaces. And I'd be keen to understand, A, if you agree with that statement, and B, if you do agree with it, Mark, what do you think are the reasons for that? I think for years, the two saw each other as competitors. And that's probably the biggest difference, right? I mean, they did, you know, the VMSs and like, wait a second, they got those other sourcing tailors taking revenue spend out of my program that go this way or the lower cost, lower resources, the spend goes down. It just, from a business economics perspective for these MSPs, they just, it's hard to comprehend that. Yeah. Wait a second, we're going to lower spend and lower our revenue. So th there's always been that dynamic, you know, that has gone on. And yeah, I just remember, you know, for years speaking to freelance management companies and other talent marketplaces and, you know, they're, you know, they're like, ah, we don't need a VMS. We could do it all. And the VMS is like, well, hey, <laughs> you can't do it all. You're only one piece. <laughs> we got the whole enterprise. You know, how do we do this? So they were fragmented, but I think that all is changing now. You know, we just had an announcement yesterday in SIA about this new partnership with Upwork. Yes. Not. And, and, you know, working with them and we've, you talk about different ways that we could be integrating and bringing our solutions together. You know, you cannot, once again, you can't talk about total talent or 
managing all your extended workforce if you're going to exclude freelancers, right? Or if you're going to exclude light industrial, or you're going to exclude people from these different countries. That's not it. You know, you have to be able to embed all these different talent sources into one solution. So I think, I think that's ultimately going to be key. You know, I think these talent marketplaces are not going. They just, these companies have large recruiting operations. They got the tech to do it. And I think, you know, I don't know if you agree, but you know, what I've found is that you know, a lot of the HR technology that's been out there has been ahead of the VMSs. Agree. Right? I mean, they have leveraged AI and, and all these type of tools for their full-time employees for many, many years. Right? And it's like the, the extended workforce has been delayed to that. You know, kind of like we talked about earlier, though. I mean, just legacy tech and solving a different business challenge. Um, but that's all changing now. You know, people are going to be able to incorporate this AI. Well, if you can't incorporate AI, you know, you're going to be left behind. <laughs> you, know? you know, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, you know, in the next couple of years, if a technology doesn't have embedded AI in their solution, it's going to be difficult to sell. Yeah, I, Mark, I, I think so. And like, Mark, I, AI, I'm somewhat conflicted about it because... Uh, and this is probably be because I was a child of the 1980s and I grew up watching Terminator and then subsequently Terminator 2 whenever that came out, I think, in the early 90s. So, But I've been reading a lot about AI and particularly um, AGI and the so-called superintelligence and, and potentially the singularity. So I understand as a, as a business leader the need for it, right? And I have to, in a way, welcome it and embrace it and deploy it where where we can right to your point you know if you don't you're going to be left behind but are you concerned about artificial intelligence and its potential negative impacts mark or do you believe that generally it could be a force for for good that's a huge question connor i know sorry dude i mean we've well now what well, you right, you've heard ceos right you got elon musk going to congress saying that you know if we don't put controls on ai it's going to kill a human. Yeah. <laughs> Something along the defense, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, that is, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, there are concerns with it, you know, but you're not going to stop it. You know what I mean? It's, it's only going to continue. It's only going to get better. I mean, I remember sitting in front of audiences three years ago or five years ago talking about AI and saying, hey, these AIs are just, they don't have enough data yet to train their models to make them effective and useful there's so many different use cases with amazon and google everyone's stopping their ai initiatives and talent because of some of those biases but they're able to overcome that now and the amount of data that is being processed just grows exponentially every day and you know as a result this ai is only going to get better yeah so i mean this is where you know, like mentioned working for the colonel right yeah. uh, jamil he's old school yes you know he he's old school and try to get that guy to change sometimes took an act of God. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But but he realized. I mean, but he's like, hey, I, I gotta I gotta learn. I gotta think differently. It's coming, you gotta be prepared to adapt it and then evolve with it. Yes. I mean, that's where, you know, this is where good leadership is key, right? You need to be able to help set the strategy to embrace what's coming into the market and help it to reinvent yourselves. I think those are the people that are able to take advantage of what they see in technology to reinvent who they are. Those are the ones that are going to be successful. They're, they're going to be embracing this AI. So, I mean, it is, there are definitely things that just scare you to death. Yeah. 
about AI and what it can do, you know, and, you know, I hope our government leaders are supposedly working on it and we'll see what they do. But I, you know, personally, you know, just with the changes I've seen throughout the years and how things have just evolved, you got to embrace it and you got to figure out how to work with it, how to transform what you do to, like I said, reinvent yourself. Yeah. And I, I, I love what you've just said there, Mark. So thanks for sharing that. And Mark, I've been working remotely for, I think, a long time now, maybe on and off about 13 years. And I, I think you're something similar, but yeah, are you concerned about remote work and uh, particularly for the, for our younger people? Or do you think, you know, obviously there's some people that can't remote work, the so-called deskless workers that are in their factories and schools and hospitals and police stations and army and yeah. Navy and whatnot. But, but for those that are not deskless workers, are you concerned about remote work and, it, and its prevalence or do you think it's, if it, if it works, it works and if it works for the people and it works for the business, then all is good. Yeah. This is like you, I think I've been remote now for 15 years, pros and cons, you know, that I've seen with, with doing this. I, you know, I, I think this is hard. I mean, you go back to the war on talent, try to get talent, try to be flexible. You know, I think a lot of organizations are, I'm sorry, people that are looking for jobs, I mean, being remote is a big thing, right? They all, yeah. most people want to have that flexibility now. So, you know, I think organizations, they have to embrace it. Like you said, it's not for everybody, you know, and, you know, there's certain jobs that just where it doesn't make sense, you know, but there's other jobs where it does. I mean, a lot of stuff that we do, obviously, and traveling and sales, you know, you could do that anywhere. So, it's, you know, our jobs are, you know, kind of fit for it, yeah. but others aren't, you know, I guess, as, you know, as a leader, you do miss, you do miss bringing the team together. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing when you could sit there and look in somebody's eyes and they could see the passion coming off your face and they see what you're doing to help the company grow. I mean, that's contagious, you know, and that's, you want as a leader to get the most out of your folks and most out of your teams, you know, but you know, it's hard to do that when it's remote. So I think companies have, you know, done different things and kind of reinvent themselves about you know, how they drive better employee engagement. But I think at the end of the day, it's here. I mean, we're road workers here. I mean, people are going to be expecting it. I think some customers are liking the, the cost savings and not having these big office spaces anymore too. So I think that plays a part, but it's coming. I mean, I think to your point though, you know, they, the, you know if I was a young kid you know, coming out of college and going directly to remote, you know, I would struggle. Yeah, same. You know, I, you know, I needed to walk around, see people. I needed to be a sponge. I need to hear what everyone's saying, what they're talking about. It made me better. And when I was able to sit down with, you know, when I sit down with Jamil or my, one of my, my original CEOs, when I was able to sit in a room and hear them talk and hear what they're talking, I mean, that's what made me better. You know, was that, that alone time talking to them face to face and really, you know, getting their wisdom. That's the piece that's missed. Yeah. You know, so I think that the people that are younger, you know, I would just say, you know, don't encourage remote workers, you know, go out there, <laughs> meet with people, meet with your coworkers, learn, be a sponge, because I think that's what ultimately help you grow. Wow. But it's coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. What, what a, what a lovely piece of advice, Mark, that would do any, any young person well, I think that to, to listen to that's coming coming into the workforce. So Mark, as always, I found our conversation 
not just enjoyable, but hugely positive and indeed optimistic. Mark, I'd like to finish the, the today's show with you with, with a question that we ask all of our all of our guests, which is a really simple one, which is what, if any, is your prediction or predictions for the future of work? The predictions is the world of platforms. Yes. I, I just, I still think this is probably going to be the biggest change in regards to every organization, every staffing firm, anyone do with hiring talent are just reinventing themselves, digitizing themselves, re, you know, rethinking about how they engage their candidates. You know, so I think the world of platforms are just going to grow. And, you know, from a VMS perspective, once again, it's all about how do you integrate all these vast platforms that these, was it 45,000 staffing firms in the U.S., 60,000 Japan, you know, how do you kind of harness all of that into a single unified experience for clients? I think that's going to be the key in the future is just how do you, you know, enable this ecosystem of talent technology to be able to achieve a company's objectives. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I love that, um, prediction for the future work and, and Mark I've loved our conversation too so thanks thanks very much indeed for your time and your insights and your experience and your expertise I, I, I love it all Mark so Mark for, for the for the benefit of our audience how can they reach out to you how can they find out more about FlexTrack and and the good work that FlexTrack can do for their organization yeah well I mean obviously yeah flex, www.flextrack.com is our website yeah we could go in and and check out some of the new content we put out there. We actually just did a great new report uh, with PwC that's out there as well that people may be interested in. So go to our website or, you know, it's mark.zolkos, Z-O-L-K-O-S, at flextrackservices.com. Don't ever hesitate to reach out. Go on, Mark. This is what I love about you, mate. You've got that a beautiful ability to, to sell and present. But Mark, really grateful for your time. I know you're very busy building the business along with your team and your colleagues. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Want to wish you a very happy holiday, Sam. They're coming up here, which is great here in, in, in the Western world and USA and, and uh, Europe. So Mark, lovely to see you. Can't wait until I see you again in person. It's always enjoyable. Take care, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Carter. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Open Talent Report with Connor Heaney. If you found this podcast informative and engaging, make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, and follow us on all your favorite streaming platforms.